Mark 5 is where we are. Grab that Bible that Rachel asked you to grab. Get God's word in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, uh, pull it up on your phone. Grab one in the bookshelves. We want you to have God's word in front of you. Uh, So Mark chapter 5, if you are just joining us, the gospel of Mark uh, was the first gospel written. Uh, What that means is it had a lot of credibility. Uh, Most scholars believe Mark wrote the gospel of Mark within 20 to 40 years after the life of Jesus. So just Imagine that, 20 to 40 years. You have a lot of people still around who, who saw Jesus in person, who heard him preach the Sermon on the Mount, who saw some of these miraculous things that he did. You have some of those people, they're still alive. And so Mark writes this with that eyewitness account. He writes this with specifically the eyewitness account of Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples. That's the gospel of Mark as we come to it. And what you see about the gospel of Mark is it is action-packed. Right? Five chapters in, you notice that. You notice it through all 16 chapters. It's action-packed. In fact, one of the words you see most often is immediately. Is immediately this happened. Immediately Jesus does this. You see that word 40-plus times in the whole of the Gospel of Mark. And we see it in verse 2 that we just read. Jesus gets out of the boat, and it says, immediately, there's a man with an unclean spirit. And so a couple weeks ago, we saw this huge raging storm in the Sea of Galilee. Jesus calms the storm. They get to the other side of that sea, and immediately he calms a storm in the sea, and immediately he has to calm a storm in a soul. And these things are happening really fast. That's what the gospel of Mark is like. And today we do come to this moment, this storm, not in, in the sea, not in the natural, but in the supernatural, and in the, in the, it's affecting someone's soul. And we're talking about evil today. And that's our first point, if you want to write that down, the reality of evil. We're going to see how evil plays out in this man's life, how evil plays out in our world. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it tells us they do come to this other side of the sea. And to give you some background on this, to help you picture it, this isn't just another location. Like, we were on this side, and now we go to the other side. It's basically the same areas. This is a very different side. And we see it in the passage. Try to picture it with me. There are tombs. There's a graveyard where bodies are buried. There's, later, we see 2,000 pigs. So there's a, a pig farm. Probably didn't smell that great. So you've got graveyard, pig farm, 2,000 pigs. And then you have a man with an unclean spirit. Literally, this is a man who has been demonized. He's demon-possessed, and he's running around free. We know that because verse 5, it says he, he was shackled by chains, but now he's, he's running free. He's crying out day and night. So can you picture the other side of the sea? It's not just like trees and flowers on this side of the sea, and we went to another beautiful part of the sea to get a different perspective of the sky. This is a very different side of the sea, that previous to this, Jesus had been ministering primarily in a Jewish context, but now they go across the sea to the Gerasenes, where you have a graveyard, where you have a pig farm, unclean animals, and where you have a man who's running around screaming, demon-possessed. Can you picture it? Now, if you and I were to show up to that scene, get out of the boat with Jesus, we might have been a little bit leery. Like, Jesus, are you sure you didn't mean the other, other side of the sea? Like, I don't, I don't know if I want to go here. Like, you and I would, would feel that as you saw this graveyard, pig farm, crazy man. We would feel that. The disciples would have been out of their mind. Why? 
the disciples were, were Jewish people. They had been taught since an early, early age that anything that is considered unclean, you stay away. Anything that is considered outside of their, their culture and tradition, their religious values, that's unclean and you stay away. And what I love about Jesus is he takes them to the unclean capital of the world. Right? If you just notice, you look at the text, he takes them to an unclean, unclean place. It's a graveyard. And it's not just a graveyard, it's a graveyard full of Gentile people, non-Jews. That's unclean. He takes them to a place where there's unclean animals, pigs. Jews didn't eat pork. He takes them to a place where there's an unclean person, a demon-possessed person. What I, I love about Jesus is he loves to make people uncomfortable. Right? Jews, disciples, grew up, hey, stay away. And Jesus is like, no, let's go. Let's enter in, right? And some of you know Jesus is comfortable making people uncomfortable because you feel uncomfortable right now, right? Even as Rachel read the passage, you're like, unclean spirit, cutting himself, pigs, why pigs, 2,000 of them, a legion. And some of you are like, what is this? Like Lord of the Rings? I, you're uncomfortable with this, no matter what your background is. And I think that that's most of us in some capacity, because most of us, when it comes to Satan and demons and evil, most of us will fall into one or two camps. Some of us will be in the camp of, we'll just try to ignore it. Like, I don't think it's true. I don't think they're demons and Satan. But if there is, I don't want to know about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. And we just try to ignore it. Now, what's the danger in that? Well, there, there is evil. We believe there is evil. There is Satan. It, it wars against you. It's a battle that you're in. The Christian life is not just a life. It's not just a relationship. It is a battle for your soul. And so when you're confronted with evil and you try to ignore it, and then you're confronted with it, it blindsides you and you're not ready for it. It takes you out. Right? But some of us, will we'll just think, well, I'll just ignore it. And then the others of us, we become obsessed with it. We're, I love Bring it, Tim. I love, love talking about Satan, demons. Yeah, I got a flat tire last week. Devil. <laughs> right? And you talk that way, and you love reading books about it, and you love getting into that. You're like, you got to name the demon. You got to get all into it, and you're obsessed with it. Like, there's a demon around every corner. Now, what's the danger in that? You've seen this with people, they never take any personal responsibility. Everything is the devil made me do it. Well, you know the devil. Like, you're just sick, man. Like, it doesn't, your sniffles, like, that doesn't necessarily mean the devil. It could be. Again, we don't want to ignore that it, that it might be, but don't be obsessed with it. We see C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to believe in their existence, or disbelieve, rather, in their existence. Ignore it. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And so, first of all, today, you need to ask yourself a question like, where am I with evil, with Satan, with demons? Is it something that I try to ignore and then it blindsides me? Is it something that I'm obsessed with and I never take personal responsibility, never recognize that sometimes it's not Satan that made me do it, sometimes it's Tim, sometimes it's me, Sometimes it's something evil within me and my own flesh 
That's why I committed that sin. That's why I had that lustful thought. It wasn't Satan. I want to run away from God, not run to God. I want to rebel against God and not worship God. Which one are you, ignoring or obsessed? We see two different types of people when it comes to evil, Satan, and demons. Now, I think one of the reasons some of us ignore and maybe some of us are obsessed is because we really don't know what this looks like, right? We've seen too many uh, movies. We've seen The Exorcist way too many times. And we're like, if I don't see that specific, not that that doesn't exist, but if I don't see that specific depiction of evil and Satan, then I don't really know how that would look. It must not be there. And the Bible helps us with this. We see some different examples of how Satan works. If, if you're new to this thing, you can write these things down. It would help you. One, we see that Satan is a liar. Satan is a liar. Jesus says it. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus says, when he, that Satan, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar. He's the father of lies. And so when you're tempted to lie, think about that first. That's a, a direct motive from Satan. He's the father of all lies. When you see other people lie, when you lie to yourself as you wake up in the morning and tell yourself, man, I can't follow Jesus. It's too hard. It doesn't really make a difference. Why should I bother? I'm going to screw this up anyway. When you wake up in the morning, you do, and you have those thoughts, that is lies from Satan himself. When you're a Christian, you've been following Jesus for a long time, and Scripture says things about you like you are an adopted son or daughter of the Most High God. You are not just indwelled with the Spirit of God. You are sealed with the Spirit of God. You have eternal security in God. And then those moments where you start to wonder, well, what about last night, though? And what about my specific situation like, does that count? Am I still a child of God? And maybe somebody comes along and, and, and creates and feeds that doubt for you. Hey, just, you should leave church. Why? You're, not, you're not with those people. You're not like those people. And then all those times when you experience those lies, that's evil. You need to recognize that. And so many of us, we, we talk to ourselves. You, you do it. You're not crazy. We all do it. And you're talking to yourself and you're feeding your doubt and it's not just you. It is evil. It is Satan. He's the father of lies. Second thing we see in scripture about Satan and evil is he's deceptive. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says this. The apostle Paul says, the devil masquerades as an angel of light. The devil, you know, you think the images that you know of, like red, angry looking person, pitchfork. Paul says, no, he, he doesn't look like that. He masquerades as something else, an angel of light, beautiful, right? Something you wouldn't run away from, you would run too. And again, you know this, most often evil and Satan, it doesn't come at you directly, it comes at you deceptively. And we see it in Proverbs chapter 7 when uh, the father is talking to the son and he's saying, hey, don't go after lust and adultery, I be wise, she's going to look beautiful. We have this picture of adultery. It's not a specific woman, but it's just this picture of, of evil and adultery. And this woman is described as, as beautiful, like honey to the lips. But then later in chapter 7, it says, hey, don't stop by her house. It's on the way to Sheol. That's death. It's a path that's leading you to death, but it doesn't look that way. 
It looks beautiful like an angel of light, but it's, it's leading to, to death. Oftentimes, Satan, evil, doesn't come at you directly. It comes at you deceptively. And we see, lastly, that Satan is sometimes the cause of sin, but Satan always uses sin. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You see, be angry, do not sin. Why? Because if you continue in sin, if you let the sun go down on this, the devil, he may not have caused the anger to begin with. Your flesh may have caused that, but he will use it. You let it fester, you let it linger, bitterness starts to develop. It's no longer just anger, it's bitterness. It's no longer just bitterness. Hey, you want to hurt someone. And Satan will not always cause evil. He won't always cause sin. Some of that's just us, our flesh. We're depraved human beings, but he will use it. He'll take it as an opportunity to use it. And some of us know this. We've seen little sins in our lives, little lies, little lustful thought, just a little bit of greed, just a little bit of gossip. I just like to speak my mind. What's wrong with that? Just little by little. And in those moments, as you talk about those things and you just accept those things or you hide those things or you rationalize those things, little by little, you are joining forces with the enemy. You're giving them opportunity. And we see that in scripture. We see that in life. Temptation gives birth to sin. Sin gives birth to destruction. And we're going to see it in a moment always. It always goes down that path to Sheol. It always goes down that path to death and destruction. And Satan will use little moments. They don't look bad. Just a mistake. Oh, just, just a regret. No, it's sin. And it leads to destruction. And Satan will use that in your life and in mine. Those are some of the ways we see this reality of evil in our world. Some of the ways we see reality of evil in this man. And we're going to continue to see that as we go. Our second point is this. The rule of Jesus. We see that in verse 6. Look at the verse with me. Notice how the demon-possessed man refers to Jesus. This is significant. He says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? You see, the demons know who Jesus is. You notice that? What do you, Jesus, son of the most high God? They don't say Jesus from Nazareth. They don't say Jesus born of Bethlehem. It's say, son of the most high God. At this point in the gospel of Mark, we hadn't seen that yet. Nobody else articulates who Jesus is, the deity of Jesus like this, but the first people to do it is a demon. And so one, you see the authority of Jesus on display. There's a song that says this, your name is a light the shadows can't deny. Like even evil, even demons, they look at Jesus and they recognize something's different about this guy. He has an authority, a power that's over us. Not just another teacher, not just a nice guy, not just a religious leader. They recognize his authority and power, even as demons. The second thing we notice about this is it shows us that simple mental assent isn't good enough. Right, again, who, who gets the deity of Jesus right at Mark chapter 5, five chapters in? Not people, not the disciples, not the religious leaders, demons. They know Jesus is God. 
But that's not enough. James 2, 19. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons do that and they shudder. The, side note here, the mental ascent, like I grew up in church, I've always kind of known Jesus. Yeah, he's God. Yeah, he died for my sins. Yeah, I like that. I'll come to church. Sure, wave a hand, sing, pray. I'll go through the motions, but the rest of my life will re remain unchanged and I'll continue in my sin patterns and I won't worship at the feet of Jesus and I'm gonna worship ultimately at my own feet because I wanna do what I wanna do. That is not a Christian. That's a consumer, right? That mental ascent, Jesus is God. Yeah, sure, okay, Tim, I know that, but nothing about your life changes. You don't worship him as God or give your life to him as God. The demons do that. Mental assent is not enough. We see that just with these, these demons. Next, we find out some more about these demons. Look at the text with me. We see that the name of the, the demons is legion, for we are many. It's not just one. This should send some shivers down your spine. This should caution you, sober you a little bit as you look at, there's a legion of demons. At that time, we think maybe a legion was 6,000 troops, 700 horses, it's a lot, of, a lot of demons, right? It's a legion of demons. And at this moment, what you see happening is basically a showdown. Right? You have Jesus immediately, he gets out of the boat, and it says this demon-possessed man that we learn has a legion of demons, he comes to him. So you have the Holy Spirit of God, and you have an unclean spirit, and they're facing off. Jesus gets off the boat. This is what he's approached with, a legion of demons. And you would think, it's a showdown, like evil and good, God and Satan. Like, what's that going to look like? Well, we have showdowns in our culture today. We have showdowns in movies that we watch. And I don't know about you, Rocky uh, is one of the best movies of all time. <laughs> Undisputed. Don't talk to me about that afterwards. It just is. And uh, specifically Rocky Four, when Rocky fights the Russian Drago. And that's a showdown. You got the big, tall Russian, and you got Rocky, the American prince, right? And he's going up against this guy. And it's this big showdown of all that's going to happen. And they go round after round, trading punches. Rocky doesn't look so hot, right? He's taking the punches. He's giving the punches. And at the very last minute, he gives the punch up high because Drago was tall. And he knocks Drago out, very last round. Everybody's all beat up. Everybody's struggling, spitting out things from the mouth. It's gross. Yo, Adrian. <laughs> it's a good movie. Um, that's the showdown we're used to. This showdown is different. A legion of demons, evil on display, Satan, up front, personal. They get off this boat. It's, it's there for them. They approach him. But there's not a showdown like in Rocky. There's not 12 rounds. Jesus' face doesn't get bruised up. He doesn't even take a nick. Look at what happens. They ask, verse 7, Jesus, don't torment me. They beg him twice to go easy on them, verse 10 and 12. Verse 13, he gives them permission. It's a different kind of showdown. And notice about this, at no point does G Jesus conjure up uh, some other kind of power. At no point do you see like a garlic ring around his neck, a cross around his neck. At no point you see incantations of, of Jesus calling up a higher power. Jesus himself, intrinsic power within his own very nature, 
he takes these demons down. First round, it's not even a fight. Jesus has a different kind of power. He has a power over the natural we saw last week. He calms a raging sea, and the waves don't keep going. No, they're calm. It's significant power, significant authority over the natural. Jesus doesn't just have a power over the natural. He has power over the supernatural, and it's in his very nature. Now, pigs, 2,000 pigs. Why do they go in the pigs? I don't know. Right? I don't know. There's theories, we can kind of speculate on that, but I'd rather not do that. Why did they go in the pigs? I don't know, but there were pigs right there. Jesus is going to deliver this man, and he's going to defeat the demons. That's what we do know. And what we see here is there is a power in Satan, right? We, we see that power expressed as they go into the pigs. What happens to the pigs? They go and live happily ever after, Charlotte's Web. They go in the, the water and they drown. They die. There's a power there. Right? But it's not as powerful as Jesus. I, I know growing up, and I'm sure you can relate to this, I had bullies in, in school in different classes, specifically like grade school, elementary. And I remember there was one bully uh, in elementary school. His name was Hunter. And Hunter, if you're listening to this, like I, I'm not mad at you, man. Uh, some of that stuff you did was uncool, um, and I didn't like it, but... Um, I'm sure you're a better person now, right? Um, but, but Hunter was a bully in elementary school, but something really crazy happened. We went to middle school. A lot of different elementary schools joined together at middle school. There's more students there. And Hunter was a big guy, and he was a bully in elementary school, but something crazy happened. Hunter met Paul Murphy. And all of you had a Paul Murphy in your school. He was that guy who was just bigger than everybody else, he played football, but what's interesting about Paul is Paul was a nice guy. Paul wasn't a bully. And I remember in woodshop class, eighth grade, not hanging on to this, by the way. Um, <laughs> woodshop class, eighth grade, Hunter, meet Paul. And Paul was my friend, right? And so I vividly remember to this day, like outside, like, we see Hunter, and we see Paul. He's been seeing the stuff that Hunter's trying to play, and he ain't with that. And they begin to go at it. And all my buddies from elementary school were just around the corner, just like, get him, Paul! <laughs> Do it! What happened? Well, there was a bully. He met a bigger bully, right? There was power. He met a greater power. You see... These demons are powerful. They go into pigs, and the pigs die. They had had this man running around, just picture, in a graveyard, screaming, cutting himself. It said they, they had him shackled. They, they had him subdued. The only other time we see subdued is in the book of James, where they were taking down a horse, like restraining a horse. That's a powerful thing to do. They had him subdued. He was no longer subdued. It's a powerful demon, a legion of demons. They just met a more powerful Jesus. See, some of you think, man, there's some evil in our culture. It's too strong. I mean, abortion, I mean, evil, it's too strong. Like racism, man, it just seems like it's everywhere. It's too strong. We see it in places of power. We're like, man, the people we're supposed to trust and follow... The evil, it's too strong. 
No, it's not. It's like the bully in elementary school who's doing his thing right now, but one day he's going to meet the bigger bully, the good bully, the one who is all loving but all powerful, the one who is going to be a, a suffering servant and take on the sin and evil of the world upon himself and die and not fight it and take it on as a servant, but the one who also rises in three days and defeats Satan, sin, death, and the grave. There's some evil in the world, but it's not more powerful than Jesus. There's some evil in your life, but it's not more powerful than Jesus, right? Whatever is afflicting you today, some of you may be experiencing not this exactly, but a hint of this in your depression, a hint of this in your constant anxiety, a hint of this in your struggle with, with lust or greed or or gossip, and you just feel like it's a cycle in your life that, that won't break. Some of you are there. If you're honest with yourself right now, you're there. And you think, maybe it's too big. I mean, I've been struggling. I'm 36. I've been struggling with this for 20 years. Maybe it just, this is just who I am. No, it's not. That bully in your life of sin, of depression, of lust, of pride, of greed, you just need to introduce it to the bigger bully, Jesus Christ. Now, that may mean some things. That may mean you need to lay it before him, be honest about it, transparent about it, name it. But Jesus can heal you of that. He can forgive you of it. He can also free you of it because he's God, because he's all, all loving, but he's also all powerful. We see the extent of Jesus's power. He's not just able to calm the storm and the sea, he can calm the storm in your soul. He can do it. Maybe that's why you're here today. So you can be reminded of the reality of evil, but you can also be reminded of the rule of God. That's what we see. The last thing we see, third point, if you want to write this down, the response of people. Mark 5, verse 14, we see the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. They, they said, we gotta go tell everybody, not just in the city, but beyond the city of what happened. This is an amazing power like we've never seen before. And people came and they wanted to see what happened. And they come to Jesus, they see the demon-possessed man who they probably heard about, the crazy guy in the graveyard running around screaming. You think they heard about him? They probably heard about that guy. But now, that guy is clothed, <laughs> which means before he was naked. Right? They probably heard about the guy, the naked guy in the graveyard. Now he's clothed. Now he's in his right mind. But look at what it says. They are not overjoyed. Like, wow, man, you finally got free of that devil? Good job. High five. No, they are what? Afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them and what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to, they begged Jesus to part. Isn't that kind of weird? Man's life is changed. Who knows how long he had been shackled, how, how many times people tried to, to help him, and he's clothed in his right mind. Why, why are they afraid? Because they are seeing, again, the power of Jesus that, They've never seen this before. A control, an authority, never seen that before. And just like you or I, we're uncomfortable with that level of control. 
Like if Jesus can do that with this man and these pigs and the, the storm and the sea, if Jesus has that kind of authority, that kind of power, and we know about it, we actually see it, there's no excuse. If we see that kind of power, then we can't decide whether we want to listen to him or not. We can't decide, do I want to obey, obey that Jesus or do I want to do my own thing? We're like, I think he controlled the sea. I think he controlled my life. I should probably obey him. And we don't like that kind of control. We don't like that kind of power because we want to do what we want to do. And this, this disrupted their lives. Like, wow, that's amazing, Jesus. You did that for him. But what does that mean? What could you do for me? I, I don't want to leave my sin behind. And some of us, man, you love Jesus as the, the suffering servant, but, but you're uncomfortable as a, with him as a powerful king. You love Jesus as he forgives sin, but you're uncomfortable with Jesus as the holy, righteous wrath of God. And what we see is Jesus is both. He's powerful, he's servant, he is loving, but he does bring judgment against sin. He is a God of justice. And we see both in this passage. Now, there are two different responses here. You get that from the people. They just, hey, that's amazing. That seems really powerful, but just get out of here. We don't want you messing with our lives. That's too powerful. But then you also see the response of the man. Look at verse 18. The man starts to get into the boat. Why? That he might be with him. I love this. The other people are saying, Jesus, you depart. And the man is saying, Jesus, can I come with? I, I want to I be alongside for the ride. Like, if this is what happens, you break me of my sin and shame and Satan involved in my life, I want to be with you. I want more of that. But Jesus says, no, this power doesn't terminate on you. It needs to move beyond you. He says, go home, tell your friends, tell everyone how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he goes, he obeys. And he proclaims what Jesus had done. Two different responses. Hey, depart. We're scared of what that control and power might do. The other response is, hey, we want to be with you. Okay, you don't want me to do that? I'll go and share about you. I want to be a part of what you're doing. That's our response to the power of Jesus. Now, a message with demons and Satan and evil and pigs some of you might be thinking, well, how do we apply this to our lives? I'm going to help you. Two things. Again, if you take notes, the first thing is fight evil. Fight evil proactively. You need to know what it looks like. Not just vaguely out there, the kind of evil you see on the news, but you need to know how evil afflicts you. And here's a few general things you can look for. One is evil thrives in isolation. Notice this man isn't in a public place where a lot of people would gather. He's in a, a graveyard where nobody wants to go, right? Evil thrives in isolation. Like, hey, just get away, spend some time alone, and God will fix this. And the reality is God sanctifies through community. And so many of us will we'll have evil in our lives, things we're struggling with, and we'll just we'll want to run away. We we'll want to go to the graveyard of our own lives and just get away. Nobody would come to me there. Nobody would confront me there. I'll just get in isolation. And there's insanity in isolation. And that's where Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. 
So evil, we see just in this passage, it thrives in isolation. You need to see that in your life. The second thing we see is evil is progressively powerful. Notice it says, and no one could bind him anymore. At one point, they could. At one point, like step by step, it was this power, then it was a little bit more powerful, and now no one could even bind him. It was progressively powerful. And again, there's some things in your life that may seem small, but they build up into a big, huge pile of destruction and sin. And you need to recognize those little things. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there are any offensive ways in me, even the ones I don't see, even the ones I'm blind to, because sin and Satan is progressively powerful. The last thing is sin and Satan will always steal your identity. Maybe some of you haven't been around the demon possessed, but you, you've been around people that you would say, you know, like, I knew Johnny, but he just seems like a different guy. I mean, he, he, I think he used to know Jesus. I think he said he was a Christian, but now he's just hanging out in weird places and doing different things. I never see him at church. You know, I even talked to him the other day. He just seemed like a different person. I, I don't know if I even really know him anymore. You ever said that about somebody? Like somebody got caught up in some things and at first it was just this little thing, just this little doubt. I mean, I'm not really questioning my faith. I mean, sure, I, like I believe all that, but don't you think it's kind of odd? I mean, just in questioning, sinning, and it's just little by little and before long you're like, I don't even know if I know who that guy is anymore. And maybe it's not a demon-possessed man running around, but it's somebody who has lost their identity. It just doesn't seem like you know who they are anymore. That's what evil is. That's what evil does. So what do you do? In this story, they're trying to bind him. They're trying to put some shackles around it, trying to fix it from the outside, but that doesn't work. He needed something greater. There was something deeply broken within him. He needed it uprooted. Jesus did that. For some of you today, as you look at not only evil and other people, you look at evil in your life, it, it doesn't need to just be shackled. You don't just need some guardrails, some, oh, I just need more boundaries in my life, like delete that app, don't talk to that person, don't go to that place. Like some of those things may be wise things to do, but you have something deeply broken within you, and you need to address that. I know the other day, there was something that, that didn't smell well in our house, right? And I was trying to find the culprit in the kitchen and whatever, like, you know, there's lots of things. It could be, we have three kids, and... Uh, so I'm looking under the cushions, you know, like it's got to be some moldy like milk somewhere that we left. And I'm looking for it and I couldn't find anything. And so my wife was away and she's coming home and I'm like, I don't want my wife to come in and the first thing would be like, it stinks in here. Like I'm a mom who cleans the house all day and it still stinks and like I didn't want that moment, right? <laughs> and so I lit a, a candle. And I was like, I think it smells a little bit better. Like, I think, I think it'll be okay. And, uh, and it was okay for a little while. But the next day, it stunk again, right? And so I had to get down on my hands and knees. Man, listen. I had to get on my hands and knees and go in the fridge and pull out a drawer and had to go through a lot of other things and get to the very back of it. And I found the culprit. It was a rotten sweet potato. It was a few of them. And I grabbed them out of the drawer and I threw them away in the trash and I got the trash and I, men, listen, this is how it works. I got the trash and I took it outside and I put it in the dumpster, right? 
Like there were some things off, there were some things wrong, and a candle wasn't going to get it. I had to dig some things out, right? Sin, evil, same way. Some of you, you have things in your life, the lies, the gossip, the greed, the lust, and you're just like, I'll just light a candle. I don't really know if I could find what's really wrong, what's really causing this right now, but I'll just light a candle, I'll just go to church. Yeah, that'll, that'll help. I'll just, I'll just attend church. I won't, I won't address my sin. I won't walk in repentance. I'll just sing some songs and get some good vibes. That's what I need, vibes. And we just light a candle. I'll just think positive thoughts. On my way to work, I'll just throw in a worship song, K-Love, instead of the music I would normally listen to. I just, just light a candle and know it's going to stink the next day. It's going to be there the next day. It's going to rot you out from your insides. You don't just need some shackles. You need Jesus Christ to uproot that evil out of you. So, so here's what that may look like. Romans 8.13 says, By the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. That means sometimes you need to spend some serious time in God's word. You need to write it down. You're like, well, Tim, it's already written down. Yeah, because you need to write it down for yourself. So you can saturate your mind and heart with it. So you can load your mind and thoughts with God, with the truth of God, the, the, the bigger, the good bully that overcomes the evil sin in your life. You need to write it down. You need to spend some serious time asking Jesus to deliver you from blank. Like name the sin, name the evil. Jesus, deliver me from this. Like, I've never even wanted to say it because I'm so embarrassed about it, even though I'm alone by myself. But you need to say it because you need to dig the sweet potato. It's rotten. You need to dig it out. You don't just light a candle like Jesus in general. I know I'm not a great person. I try hard. Forgive me and move about your day. That's lighting the candle. You need to deal with it, uproot it, dig it out. It will be painful, but you will be healed that way. Pray with others. Get help. There's insanity in isolation. Go to somebody today. Hi, Tim, are you sure? Like, I'll just come to church. It's it's a good thing to do. Go to, I'm hungry. Yeah, today. Lunch will wait. Like, go to somebody else. You may need help, not just from some of the people in this room, and that may be the case, but you need help from a counselor. Make that call. Ask us. We have a list of counselors. You're like, Tim, I'm struggling with depression. That's a real thing for me. It's like this evil that's, that's had a hold of me for a long time. We have counselors that we can re- refer you to. Dig a little deeper. Don't just light the candle. So fight evil. And the second thing is help others fight. Push back darkness. Notice this about Jesus. He goes to places and people that society stays away from. The other side of the sea, like the other side that we don't go to. The graveyard, the pig farm, that crazy guy. Jesus says, hey, let's get in a boat. We're going there. Most people didn't want to bump into that place. Jesus says, let's take a trip. Vacation destination. That's where we're going. We're going to enter in. We're going to push back the darkness. We're going to help other people who can't fight for themselves. We're going to help them fight. So what is our other side? We need to fight evil in your own life, but you need to help others fight. What's your other side of the sea? Who are the people in your life, even at your job, in our city? They're the other side, and you don't want to go near them, but Jesus might be calling you as a community group. 
how can we go serve those people in that area of town? How can I serve that guy at my work who no one else wants to talk to? God placed you there to help him fight evil. We proclaim the light because it shines brightest in the darkness. What is your other side? What's that for us as a church? What's amazing about this man and this moment is as he goes back to his home, as he proclaims this light in the darkness, this experience that he's had with the power of Jesus, things begin to change. Because God uses you, the Holy Spirit of God in you to fight evil in your own life, but he also uses you as an agent of his goodness and healing to help others fight evil. And so what happens is this man does this, he proclaims light in the darkness, he begins to push it back. Chapter seven, we're in chapter five, chapter seven, Jesus goes to the same area and people are different. He gets a warmer response. They're not begging him to depart anymore. Why? Because he's got an agent of light in the darkness. That could be you and that could be our church. We wanna fight evil. Not ignore it, not be obsessed by it, but by the spirit of God, fight it in our own lives. What step do you need to take to do that today? What step can you take to help other people fight as well? Take a moment. Don't miss this moment. Take a moment to consider that now. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are loving enough to care but also powerful enough to act, that whatever bullies we have in our life, whatever sin or evil we have in our life, you're stronger, you're greater, you're bigger, you have no rival. God, your name alone, as we cry out your name in song, but also in this moment as men and women cry out your name in word, through prayer, to their specific situation, you move because you're powerful. You're loving enough to care. You're powerful enough to act. I thank you that we serve a Jesus like that. And I pray in this moment we would reflect on not just you, but the evil inside of us that needs to be addressed. And maybe that's why you have us here. Is there's just, just little things, just little things building up, but they're gonna lead down a path to destruction. And God, I, I pray for these men and women and for myself, that we wouldn't wait till we get to the destruction. That we would, in this moment, while we still have a few moments, we would address the evil that's in our lives. And we would begin to see your light push it back, uproot it. We wouldn't just light a candle and just have a great Sunday and go on about our day. We would dig it out. We would spend some time with you. We would cry out to you even in song, in word. God, you would spur us on to do that now. I pray for your help. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen.